Last evening, Shahe told us about the fact that the Lord loves warriors. And I do too. I noticed a few years ago, my heroes were always those kind of men who are confident, tough, and gritty. Those are the kind of people that I like. And so very briefly this evening, I want to study with you an, an old story, one that means so much to you and I, and from it, very quickly, glean some lessons I hope will help us. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17 and verse 12, the Bible begins like this and says, Now David was the son of, son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shema. The three eldest sons of Jesse, as the scripture evidently points out here, had gone with Saul to fight against the Philistines, an ancient enemy of the children of Israel. Forty days had now passed, and Jesse began to think now, an old man perhaps worried about his children, he began to wonder how they were, how things were going for them. And so he called the youngest David, and he told him to go, to leave the sheep with the keeper, and to take with him some subsistence for his brethren. In verse 17, the scripture says, And Jesse said to David, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of the thousand, and look how they fare, and take their pledge. And so, quick as a post, he makes his way to the battlefield, and begins to hunt up his brothers, and look for them. And when he finds them, he begins to talk to them, and see how they're doing. Jesse had said some things very specific. First of all, see how they fare. Look them over. Make sure everything is all right and take their pledge. Make sure that if you speak with them, you find out that everything really is okay. And so that's what he begins to do. But while he's doing that, the Bible tells us that he heard just as these men had been hearing for the last 40 days, both morning and evening, a Philistine down yonder in the battle. As the custom was for the People of that day and age, often where they went out to battle, they would find the little valley with a hillside on either side of it, and one army would get on one side and another army on the other side, and they would set their armies in array and they would fight a battle. Well, that's exactly what the Israelites expected to do until they got there. The Bible tells us that there came down a man by the name of Goliath. In verse 8, the scripture says of him, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It's amazing to me the Bible tells us what kind of man he was. He gives us those old measurements of cubits and spans. And when you do the math, he was over nine feet tall. The Bible tells us that his coat of mail that he wore into battle weighed in our current numbers today around 150 pounds. Now that's a load to pack around. If you don't believe that, when you get home, you go out to your feed shed. I suppose all y'all have one of those. Pick up three bags of feed and you'll find out what 150 pounds is like. The Bible tells us that the tip of his beard weighed so much and in our numbers it was about 18 pounds. Think about that, 18 pounds. This was a monster of a man. 
Now the Bible tells us that David looked on watching and seeing what would happen that day. And I suppose like all children with childlike admiration, he looked up to his older brothers. Now I suppose David thought, you just wait. You wait till Eliab gets down there. He'll take care of you. But Eliab didn't step up. You wait for Abinadab. When he comes, that's the end of you. No, Abinadab. Shema. Shema, he's the one. He'll take care of you. I suppose that David looked up with childlike admiration, thinking, surely, what if my brother will take care of this? You know, that's the way little brothers are. I've got two boys separated by 15 years difference. We one time were eating supper and uh, my daughter Caitlin, my eldest daughter, overtaken with a misguided moment of emotion, reached over and grabbed Ron's hand and she said, I love you. And Ron said, I love Sam. <laughs> well, that's the way little brothers are. And I expect that's what David was doing. He was waiting. He was looking up. Surely they will come. But they didn't. And not only that, as David begins to talk to the rest of these cowards who had fled back to their tent, he found out something very amazing as well. There had been somewhat of an incentive for these children of Israel. As a matter of fact, in verse 24, the scripture says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth the man, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give his daughter and make his father house free in Israel. David was amazed. The Bible says in verse 26, and David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after the same manner saying, so shall it be done to him that killeth him. And so David begins to speak to every man around him. And I suppose he's looking for a man who would step out there and take Goliath as he turns to one. Now what will be done? Well, the king's going to enrich him and make his father's house free and give his daughter to wife. And yet that man would not go out to the next man. Now what's going to happen to the man that kills this uncircumcised Philistine? Well, the king will enrich him and give his daughter to wife and make his house free in Israel. And in vain David searches for a man who would kill Kill the Philistine. None would go. Finally, Eliab and his embarrassment who had been standing there watching all of this, he came to David. I suppose he snatched him up by his arm, began to drag him off and began to chew him out. In verse 28 the scripture says, And Eliab the eldest brother when he heard, heard when he spake unto them, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep on the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. I suppose David was used to this. He'd been chewed out by other older brothers. Now that's the way it works too with older and younger brothers. You know, sometimes the older brother gets a little big for his britches and he kind of steps into that parental role. David knew what it was like to be chewed out. And you remember what he said when he looked up at Eliab? He said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Listen, David seemed to understand that the, something these other men did not. There was a reason that Goliath had to die. There was a reason that this Philistine had to be destroyed. And that was the fact that there was a reproach on Israel. These were not common everyday men. These were Israelites. 
These were not Gentiles. These were Israelites. They served the almighty God of heaven. Their God was not like the pagan idols of the Philistines or any other land. No. Their God punished his enemies with every manner of pestilence you can imagine. It was their God who led them out of the land of Egypt and parted the Red Sea before them. It was their God who fed them in the wilderness with manna and with dove. It was their God who parted the waters of the Jordan when they crossed over into this land of promise. And it was their God who had marched before them and granted them victory after victory. And now in David's horror, it was their God who was being disrespected. And now these cowards stood stymied by a mouthy Philistine standing down there in the battlefield intimidating every one of them. And here's what David understood. This is a reproach. And it has, something has to be done. They would not go. Well, he stirs such a stink, the Bible tells us, that finally the king hears about. Now Saul knew David. David had already been before Saul and had played his heart before him and soothed his troubled mind. And the Bible tells us this. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took, out, took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. And thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing it defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Yes, David understood. He understood that God, just as God had blessed him and had cared for him, he knew that God would continue to do that. He had an abiding confidence, an abiding faith in God. The Bible tells us that Saul began to persuade him, Listen, if you're going to go and fight, at least take my armor. Have you ever thought about this? David's a young man. He said last night he was a teenager. Saul, a grown man, the Bible tells us that his coronation was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was a big man himself. Kind of makes me wonder why this big man didn't march down there to face their big man. We start to see something of the crumbling character of Saul. And so he tells him, take my armor. So they begin to put the armor on David and they begin to lace it up and take that uh, double XL and reduce it down to a schmedium, I'm sure. And by the time they get it all cinched up, I'm sure David looked like a terrapin wearing a toe sack. And he said, I can't take this. I'm not proved this armor. I can't have this. And so off he goes. The Bible tells us he began to make his way down that hillside. And as he went along that hillside, he began to gather up some stones. You know what he took with him? Do you remember what he took with him? He had his shepherd's bag. Carried his possibles in there, you know. He had his staff in one hand and he had his sling. That sling is an amazing thing. Now, the, when I was a little boy, my dad made me one of them. That's not like we think of a, a slingshot, a piece of leather 
hole about so so wide with a string or a piece of leather tied on one side and on the other side. And the way we did it is you'd tie one piece of string around your wrist and you'd hold the other piece of string and you'd put a rock in there or whatever's handy. And you'd take that and you'd wind that up and you'd send it. Amazing. That's, for you kids that are out of school, that's an amazing arts and crafts project for you this summer. <laughs> now, I never was as good as David. I got to where I could hit paint cans and stray cats. Although, <laughs> me and my neighbor, we did manage to hit a power transformer on a power pole and knocked out electricity to seven of the neighbors down the road from us. And Mama was so proud. But David was a master. David knew what he was doing. The Bible tells us when he made his way down there and finally met Goliath, that Goliath begins to insult him. The scripture says, And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. I love David. Listen to what David said. Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air, out of the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hands. In my mind's eye, I can see David as he begins to head toward Goliath. First, his steps are measured, but then his strides begin to grow until ultimately David is racing toward him at full strength. The scripture tells us he takes one of those smooth stones and puts it in that sling. And as he begins to make ready to fire his shot, I suppose that at a sudden stop, David took the momentum he had built up. It began the sole of his feet and traveled through his body until ultimately the shot was fired. And the Bible tells us that it found its mark in Goliath's forehead and pointedly says it sunk in and Goliath fell before him dead. There was no sword in David's hand. And so David ran to him. The scripture tells us that he took Goliath's sword and he cut Goliath's head off. And in my wild imagination, I can only imagine what it must have been like when David reached down and grabbed those nappy, oily curls of that Philistine and hoisted his head before the Israelites and they began to understand, our God saveth not with sword and spear. The Bible tells us the Philistines were put to flight. Very quickly, I want to notice with you a couple of lessons here that I think that you and I should glean from this and that we should carry with us. First of all, David points out the fact that there is a cause that must be defended. There is a cause today. There always has been. Israel here was being humiliated. Her lands were being threatened. And the army was too afraid to do anything about it. David asked the most appropriate question when he said, Is there not 
a cause. And so I say today, brethren, is there not a cause in which you and I are engaged? Is there not a cause that's worth our, our work, our effort, and our defense? The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the apostle said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Yes, today, that is a cause worth defending. The apostle defined it in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4 as being the very fact of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's a story the world needs to hear. That's a cause worth defending today. More and more critics today assail the story of Christ and the scripture itself. And that's the cause we please. It's the one that makes the difference for man. Literally the difference between heaven or hell. The difference between saved, being saved and being lost forever. And thus the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Yes, our cause today is worth defending. Our cause today is worth declaring. But secondly, too, we defend the church. The church today is worth defense. This glorious kingdom of heaven on earth. The Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. Such as should be saved. Yes today my friends. The church is the cause we plead. She's worth working for. She's worth laboring for. There are critics today both inside the kingdom. And outside the kingdom. Who want to look down on the church. And who want to downplay the church. And the unimportance of the church. She's worth defending today. Amen. Now I realize today it's only a grammatical thing. But it absolutely gets under my hide when I see somebody spell out the church of Christ and they put a little C on church. As if to de-emphasize the importance of the church. Listen friends, that's the kingdom of heaven on earth. And if men are going to be saved today, they're going to be members of that kingdom. And we need not devalue it. No, I understand the principle. You know, we want to emphasize Christ in the name Church of Christ. Well, that's good. And that's important. Well, man won't be saved without the church. You can't be saved with Christ and without the church. It doesn't work that way. Now, I understand it's a grammatical issue. But there's an underlying theme in there too, my friends. And don't be fooled by wily folks who simply want to say, tell you that it's merely a matter of advertising. Yes, the kingdom of heaven is a cause worth fighting for. But secondly, I want you to notice today that David had faith. You know what drove him down in that valley? Faith. Faith. He believed in God. And he believed in God's protecting power. I've often thought about David. You know, we don't have very many bear at home. You don't have very many uh, lions either, at least not these kind. And uh, so I've been reduced to hunting wild hogs. You know. And every once in a while, you'll catch an old wild sow, 200, 250 pounds or so, who don't understand that this is really just a sport. I'm just going to catch you and tie you up and catch you my dogs, and then we're going to turn you loose and go on our merry way. She don't understand that. And so when I get a hold of her, she's trying to eat me alive. And almost every time I think, I hope David didn't feel this way. But I'm scared to death. The only thing that really keeps me from turning loose is number one, the abiding fear of being mauled. 
And number two, having to tell my wife, meet me at the emergency room, I've done something stupid. <laughs> Wasn't that a way for David? David had faith. And David said, just as God delivered me from the lion and from the bear, he'll deliver me from this Philistine. Let me ask you today, where's your faith led you? David's faith led him to a valley of victory. A valley of victory. Where's your faith led you? Do you have faith enough today to live the truth? Do you have faith enough to live the truth in front of friends and in front of critics? I've got to hurry on very quickly. You know, we've been talking to these young men. They did an amazing job this morning, I think. I didn't see a dud in a bunch. They really did good. And you know, here, and like all the young people's meetings that you'll go to, People are going to pet and paw and tell you how good you did. Your mama's going to flutter around you and your daddy's going to march around with pride and all the brothers are going to tell you you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and you all did very well. But it's one thing to preach the truth where the fans are. And it's another thing to preach the truth where the critics are. So I want you to understand today it's going to take some faith, some confidence that what you're preaching is the truth of God's divine will. And I pray you'll do that very thing, just as I do for all our preachers. Do you have faith enough today to confront error and false teaching? Yes, false teachers still are among us today, just as they were in the first century. And you know what it's going to take to confront them? Faith. Confidence in God's word, that it's true, right, and unchanging. It's going to take faith. Do you have faith enough today to preach the truth and to live the truth in your everyday life? You're going to have friends and neighbors. You're going to have workmates today who don't agree with what you do, what you stand for, how you live, what you preach, what you practice, and who you are. They just don't like it. And you know what it's going to take to live it out before them and to change their mind? It's going to take faith. You're going to have to be convinced that what you're doing is absolutely right. So I ask you again today, where has your faith led you? Has your faith led you today to be the best Christian that you can be? Here's what the Lord said in Revelation 2 and verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.